Well, gents, we are condensing this week's show. We are going to cover rounds 10, 11, and 12. So strap yourself in. We are going to identify the considerable winners who are able to get through this period of time unscathed and some of the mammoth losers who weren't able to get the results they were looking for and now, as a result, have their season in jeopardy. Let's quickly talk about our favourite moments and highlights from the last three rounds because, as you guys mentioned off the top, the Richmond-Port Adelaide game, well, that is the game of the season. Yeah, that's probably my highlight. Obviously, the one on the weekend with Carlton and Fremantle, which was a pretty dour game to begin with. But even the North Melbourne versus Brisbane Lions, North came back. They kicked a goal after the siren, but that was a pretty tight game. Yeah, I think the Gold Coast versus Essendon game as well, the draw... That was pretty exciting. I think it was on a Wednesday night, so some Wednesday night entertainment. But I think the Richmond versus Port Adelaide game was easily the best game so far, and also the Geelong versus West Coast game as well. There were some rippers really crammed into that window of footy. I think it's a real treat that we were able to have that over the feast that you'd call it. Probably some of the best games of the season have come in the last sort of fortnight or so, especially when you've sort of had a season that's received patches of criticism at times for you know some unattractive games, low-scoring games. We know the reasons behind those. They're obvious and there's plenty of factors going into it. So it's been nice to see. And I think we've got to give a shout-out as well to the crowds on that night. I mean, that was absolutely electric. The kind of noise when three free kicks went the wrong way and just jump over the boundaries. I mean, it just had that kind of fanfare about it. It just reminds us of how good it is to have crowds at the footy. And wow, what an exceptional spectacle that was. I think it was only like 10,000 and it sounded like 50,000. So I think we sort of take it for granted. We will Let's get into the considerable winners and the mammoth losers. And Maxie, let's start with you because you've identified a team that, as we know, has a very, very good home and away record, but things just seem a little bit different at the Geelong Football Club. That's right, man. I think we've got to highlight them this week because we're covering rounds 10, 11 and 12 and the Geelong Cats have gone 3-0 and in that time with pretty impressive wins to North Melbourne, who are obviously one of the bottom four teams, but then against St Kilda and Port, who are looking like finalists. Port Adelaide will be top four and St Kilda will be pushing for top four. So Geelong are third on the ladder. They're eight and four with the best percentage in the comp of 138.5%. So percentage to me is a really good indicator of where you're really at and to see that they've got the best percentage of the comp. Their forward line is working exceptionally well at the moment. I've really liked over the last few weeks, Cam Guthrie and especially Sam Managola have seemed to step up. I think in the past, especially come finals times, Geelong have sort of been exposed for relying too heavily on their stars and that second tier as well as their bottom six sometimes doesn't stand up during finals time. So hopefully if Cam Guthrie and Sam Menegola can um, sort of support Dangerfield, Selwood and Duncan come finals time, their midfield is going to be in really good shape. They haven't rested Dangerfield. They've sort of sent him to just the goal square and play more time forward. That's contributed to their forward line looking exceptional. And they've also covered Selwood, who hasn't been in fantastic form of late. And the thing I like about Geelong is they look really strong across all lines, especially 
their forward line at the moment. Tommy Hawkins is over 30 and he's looking as good as he ever has. He's probably in really best form and that was probably one of his career best performances. Six goals, 17 disposals and 10 contested marks. Doing it against Port Adelaide, Gary Rowan has kicked seven goals in the last two games. They dropped to Savo Radagalia, which is sort of interesting to me because I thought he'd sort of helped Tom Hawkins, but it sort of it looked to me like he had more space and more room to move. And Gary Rowan, for the first time in a long time, he's had two pre-seasons in a row. So he's got more consistency in his body and he's moving really well. It will be interesting to me if they do have a look at Jenkins before finals. Mm. I'd like to see it, whether or not it works. I'm not sure, but I'd like to see it. Brian Myers is playing well. He's playing a bit more time through the midfield and obviously they've got Gary Ablett to come back whenever he does come back. Their back line looks very strong. It is interesting the role that they do play Blitzhalves to me. If Blitzhalves was in my team, I'd just be setting him at full back and forgetting about it. So... It's interesting the role that he plays. Sometimes he plays fullback and sometimes plays in the ruck or even on a wing, which I personally don't really understand. The backline nonetheless looks pretty solid with Taylor, Collar Jasney, Stuart, Buse, and Henry, as well as Lockie Henderson, who's sort of Lockie made a Henderson comeback out of nowhere. He was so out of favour. I forgot he was even still playing. I was like, did Lockie Henderson retire a few years ago? <laughs> sort of come back out of nowhere and he's playing well. Their midfield with Metagola, Guthrie, Duncan, and then Howard and Dangerfield look strong. It's just over the last few years, we've always seen that John have had a question mark over their ruck stock. So Stanley's playing okay at the moment. Will he be there come finals time? And do the coaches have the faith to go with him? I think they lost their patience with him last final series. So that's probably the biggest question mark on John at the moment. They don't have to go to the MCG this final series. So are they going to break their preliminary final curse? I'd like to see them do so. But um, to come, they've got Adelaide, the Bulldogs, Essendon, Richmond, and Sydney. So to me, I've got them winning four of those games and a question mark on the Richmond game, which I think is a 50-50 game. They could potentially win all of those games and lock up a top two spot. So question mark on their finals record and whether or not they can break that this year. Maxie, that is a very comprehensive analysis of the Cats. We mentioned Tom Hawkins is in career best form. It's unbelievable to believe that Tom Hawkins has never won a Coleman. This is probably his best chance to get that accolade under his belt. So we've seen the rise of Geelong and we've also seen the very surprising rise of Melbourne after they were described as soft as butter by their president. They have returned to form, albeit they had very, very easy opponents, but they bet Collingwood over the weekend and Frizy, can they make finals? Well, I think it's a good chance now, guys. We see them currently in the eight as it stands. Their strong percentage just gives them the edge over the Bulldogs and the Giants there. Look, they're finally firing. You might say it's the best they've looked since 2018. The turnaround is no coincidence since those comments. They've sort of backfired a little bit already. Huge win over the Pies on the weekend. We know that they've got their struggles and that's been talked about a lot. But I think this is a more accurate representation of where Melbourne should be given the list profile and what they would be wanting to achieve. We've seen just during the week that they've decided they're going to sort of manage Max gone through. He's got a little bit of soreness there and whatnot. They've got the option in Big Prusy, who we finally get <laughs> uh, a look at. That's right. You almost sort of forgot they had him on their list there. So now it's certainly come in handy. I think they could well make it, probably between them and a couple of other sides for that seven to eight mark. But they might just be getting things to come together when it counts. Absolutely, Fries. It's incredible. 
Only about three weeks ago, we were talking about Melbourne having to change their coach, having to look at trading players like Angus Brayshaw because they had a like-for-like in the midfield. And now we're seeing Angus Brayshaw almost recapture his 2018 form and you're seeing their forward line finally functioning. I mean, what has been the most pleasing aspect of the Demons for you? You're so right in what you say. You've nailed it. These guys, um, you're talking about the Petrarcas and the Olivers of this side. They've had a few big weeks. The thing that might really help their chances is that they might just be all hitting a nice patch of form at the right time. So certainly be dangerous if they manage to sneak in, I think. Where there are winners, there are losers. All right, (laughs) let's get to the mammoth losers for rounds 10, 11 and 12. (laughs) It is not looking good for our mighty bombers. Maxi, what has gone so terribly wrong and can, can we find an answer to all of our woes. Well, plenty has gone wrong, man. <laughs> it was a pretty dark, depressing day on Sunday. Um, I walked away at three-quarter time and I ended up watching quarters two and three on mute because I, could, I couldn't put up with the commentary anymore. As I said earlier, looking at our last four games against Brisbane, GWS, Elkos and St Kilda, I went into those four games thinking we need to win two of those games. Instead of winning two of those games, we walked away with two points. So we went zero, one and three over those four weeks. We're now five, five and a draw with 86%, which is pretty poor. I think we're fourth or fifth worst in the comp in terms of percentage. So unfortunately, that's a pretty good indicator of where things are at. Having said that, it's pretty well known, our injury list. They're doing what I think Cal Toomey is calling soft managers or soft drops, which is saying they're managed, but really you've been dropped. I'm a fan of Francis, but I think he's sort of struggled a little bit in recent times. So as I said, plenty has gone wrong. Um, To me, the ball movement, is one of the big worries. I sort of think that they've overcompensated for the fact that a few years ago we were renowned for having Sardar McKenna streaming off halfback and that was sort of opening us up on the other end once they turn over the ball. I think what they're trying to do is move the ball slower so that they're well set up behind the ball if they do turn over the ball. But we can't score at the moment. We're not using our strength of running off halfback because we're worried that turnovers from that end will go against us. Yeah, McKenna's playing forward. I actually think it would work, especially at Marvel, and especially if we were playing better. I think he shows glimpses, and I think if we were playing better, it would actually be a better move. I think it's easy to criticise that move at the moment, but for me, especially given how poorly Fantasia's played this year and probably the last two years, to be honest, are they playing in there to keep him happy? so that he stays at the club and doesn't go back to Ireland. <laughs> so yeah. there is a question mark on that. They don't make it hard for teams to play against them. They let Lockie Neal run around and do whatever he wants a few weeks ago. And this week, Bradley Hill. Tip and Woody's out of form. And I think pretty much all of our forwards are out of form. I think Jimmy Stewart showed a bit in the Gold Coast game, which is a bit of a positive. But there's plenty of going wrong. I do want to mention some positives for this year because I don't think they'll play finals and I don't want to smash them too hard. I think some positives are Jordan Ridley looks like has to be All-Australian for me. <laughs> just considering how well he's played. He looks like one of the best ball users Essendon's had in 10 years, probably, and yeah. considering how well he takes intercept marks as well. And Maxi, it's it's worth mentioning, you were on Jordan Ridley, I reckon, four seasons ago. You've been on him for such a long time, and you said, I don't understand why Essendon haven't played him yet. And they've kind of played him on and off, but then this season he's had a really good run, and now we're seeing 
just how good he is. I mean, you've seen this from a long way back. I've always said he reminds me a bit of Andrew Matthew, probably a better intercept marker than Andrew Matthew, to be honest. It's one of our areas that we actually are reasonably well-stocked is that halfback flanker, that third tall. Also, Sammy Draper looks like he's got reasonable promise. I think the main criticism with Belcham has been his body and his lack of athleticism. He looks like he just sort of mopes around the ground on pretty heavy and tired legs. So to see an athletic ruckman in an Essendon jumper is a bit of a change from probably since Paddy Ryder, we haven't had that. But um, also, I think Darcy Parrish and Andy McGrath over the last few weeks, even though we've been down, especially McGrath. Those two midfielders, you just put on the whiteboard and forget for 10 years. So, yeah, just the question is whether or not they could fix their ball movement and their brand. It's got that uh, really uncertain, little nasty feeling that, yeah, that 2015 season sort of had where we might still have yet to have seen the worst of it before the season's out. Either way, I think this off-season coming up end of 2020 is probably going to be Essendon's most important one in a hell of a long time. Last thing on Essendon I want to just say is there have been whispers that Joe Dano might play this week against Richmond. Where do you guys stand on that being a chance? Uh, I suppose for the impatient Essendon fans, which we all are at the moment, we might uh, want to have a look at him before we potentially lose him in that off-season. So it may work one of two ways. It might really improve us structurally and make us a lot more dangerous up front. Or it could also give us a glimpse into what we might be missing going forward. So be very interested to see how that team selection pans out. I'll make sure I swipe up when I see that on Thursday night, gents. Very good. Take Woosh's advice on that one. Yeah, very interested to see what happens with this because similar discussion of Buddy Franklin, obviously very, very different contract talks, but similar as in players being injured and you're coming towards the end of a season where you may not even make finals. But for Buddy Franklin and also for Joe, you just want to see them out there. You want to see them compete. They're going to make your team better. And you just want to see them play. So are you risking much? Maybe the long-term future of both of those players. But at the same time, you need those games under your belt and you just need to see them perform and and help contribute to your side because you're paying them the big bucks. But again, we don't want to repeat previous mistakes and bring him in too early. I mean, I can't see them playing him if he's not putting up his hand. And to me, it would be a massive indication of where he thinks he's at because if he doesn't think he's right then I would be surprised if he plays more than one or two games because if his body's shot and he's not the player that he was, then if I was Joe, I probably wouldn't want to play until maybe the last game if I had to because the more games I play and if I don't perform well, whoever's paying my contract next year, I'm probably losing money with every poor performance. So if he puts his hand up to play and he plays well, just even if he puts his hand up to play, that's got to be a big indication of where his body's at. But also how committed he is to footy. So mm. very interested to see what happens with Joe. Maxi, that was another brilliant analysis. And yes, unfortunately, it is our team again on the Mammoth Losers. Let's hope for not too much longer or in the same significant vein of form. Frizy, let's have a look at the Western Bulldogs because they had a very, very nice win on the weekend against the Adelaide Crows. They are the worst side in the competition, the Adelaide Crows. So maybe we can't read into that win too much. They did get their big forward. Talking about big forwards, they did get Aaron Norden firing with six goals, as you will no doubt touch on. But they haven't been able to beat a top four side this season. So the big question mark is still out. Where are the Western Bulldogs? Can they play finals? And are they a serious contender? I think they can certainly still play finals. Yeah, now they're, they're definitely in that bracket with Melbourne and a couple of others around the same number of wins and that. I do think, though, this does further prove the doubts on them against those top teams. But they're still on the fringe of the eight. They had some challenges the two weeks prior against sides like Port Adelaide and Brisbane. Games you probably would have expected them to lose regardless. 
they were pretty strong performances still. I'd like to add those two games, despite the fact that they probably needed to bank one of them to sort of prove their credentials. They couldn't do it. They still remain pretty strong in the midfield as well. I think it's definitely their biggest advantage. You know, Bontempelli, Lockie Hunter's just come back. Bailey Smith had a big afternoon against the Crows. So, look, a bit like Melbourne, it's a maybe. And funnily enough, these two sides are coming up to play each other. So winning one or two of the ones that you don't expect them to in the run home could be the difference between, yeah, squeezing in and not. It's been great seeing the return of Mitch Wallace up in that forward line. He's looked like a really strong target. And if he can get up and about and Norton can get up and about, that's going to be a promising forward line. But again, the issue is over Josh Bruce, whether he gets more games for this season and whether they view him as a player in their best 22 is seen to be believed there, Frizzy. Yeah, the Bruce one's a really tricky one, especially given he was recruited with a lot of hype and whatnot. Despite it being his third club, it was, um, at the time, from memory, it was seen as a really big coup for the dog in getting him over there. So whether they do make it or not, I just wonder if he's actually part of their plans should they make the finals. With regards to Wallace, though, yeah, it's always nice to see a player sort of revitalize their career and secure their spot by sort of changing their position or their role and um, sort of having that refreshed feeling to their game. Yeah, it's it's nice to see. They've been very hot and cold sort of this year as a side, haven't they? Hot and cold dogs, that is for sure. But can they match it for the full four quarters? That is the biggest question over the... Yeah, it's the question, are they the flat track bullies? Um, it'll be interesting to see Bruce and Norton in the same team. I think that'll help him. I think key position players can sometimes harder for them to fit into a new club straight away rather than midfielders. One of those interesting ones was, I remember Brian Lake, even though he won a Norm Smith in his first year at Hawthorne, he actually had a really poor year. So sometimes you see like, position players struggle in their first season, but I think he'll come good, particularly with Norton there by his side. But yeah, they're a tricky one, the Bulldogs. I was pretty high on them coming into the year, but I didn't think they'd be this inconsistent. They're still a pretty young side, but I think they've got one of the best midfields in the comp. So yeah, they just need to find a level of consistency, the Bulldogs. And also, it was good to see Lockie Hunter back in the team as well. Obviously, he's had his demons this year that he's had to deal with, but there's been a little bit of talk about Brisbane Brisbane Lions possibly showing some interest in him for next season and seasons beyond. But grabbing your jumper, showing that passion and yelling and screaming, that often is a good indicator to your fans that you're pretty committed to that club for Aussie. Yeah, I think so. Gee, wouldn't that bolster an already strong Brisbane midfield? But you're right. I dare say uh, it was probably just a bit of a bit of chat and that was his not-so-subtle, perhaps, way of saying thanks, but no thanks. Yes, I'm sure Doggies fans would have breathed a sigh or two of relief having seen that. I heard Bevo this morning say he's contracted. So <laughs> I think he said um, if somebody wants him, they're going to have to pay a fair bit for him. So I can't oh, see him going anywhere. There you go. We've seen this play out many times before with others, haven't we? Don't think he is going to be going anywhere anytime soon. That is a very, very good wrap of the Bulldogs. Yes, they are mammoth losers, but we do believe in them. They've got a decent draw coming up. If they can knock off one of those top four sides, then we might start believing in the Bulldogs in 2020. 